This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. One of us actually just throws a flashbang right into his face <laughs> and all of us are laughing. Right. And he's just like getting super red faced and just like, <laughs> who, who did this? Who did this? And, then, and it, we're, all, we're all just like, in, you know, heads at, heads at the table, right. like kind of right. ducked right. down, not looking at anything. Welcome to Game Dev Advice the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Hey Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, all things considered. On that topic, how are things going with you and COVID-19 and everything right now? Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a madness, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm quarantined like everybody else, like homeschooling the kiddos. And in fact, I'm actually in the kids' room right now. And <laughs> we have to be careful about uh, how we do our shopping runs. I yeah. grew up in New Jersey and went to school in New York. So okay. I check in with my friends and family quite often. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough spot out there, right? I have friends out there too. So yeah, yeah, it's really, really difficult out there. I really wish that I could do more, but it's the first time in my life I have to just accept that these things happen, and you just have to plan around it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's these are unprecedented times to say the least. All right, in terms of you know game development, can you tell me about your current role? Of course, I am the co-founder and game director at Kuki. Uh, Kuki is a family-owned and operated indie uh, game business. Uh, mm -hmm. We founded the company under the premise that the world could use a great single-player game that challenges the mind while also touching the heart. Um, okay. We're working on Mage Hunter, which is a modern take on a JRPG mm -hmm. with... Uh, some really cool gameplay with real-time stealth tactics and uh, turn-based combat with uh, little mini-games in them. So it's a cool. pretty interesting twist, we hope, at least. Yeah, no, that, that, that's cool that, um, you know, everything's online, online, online all the time. So it's cool to kind of focus on that single-player experience, make it, you know, rich and immersive. And, you know, turn-based is, uh, is always fun. I worked on a turn-based game decades ago that... Uh, you know, there's a lot of strategy to that and thinking and stuff. So, no, that's fantastic. That's actually the kind of game that after Mage Hunter, if there's an opportunity for us to look into like grid-based, turn-based games. So mm -hmm. stuff like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, Advanced Wars, these kind of games are really close and near and dear to my heart. And part mm -hmm. of why uh, we wanted to start Kukia was to make games that like the 12-year-old me wanted to play. And um these are the kind of games that were inspirational for me and why I got into the game industry. No, it's, that's excellent. And, and what platform are you? Uh, you're on PC, right? Or We're building the game in Unity right now. It's right. the most flexible. It's the, it's the engine that a lot of companies use. Yep, it's, we use it's it. It's awesome. Um, I think you'll find that uh, if you release on a PC, which is our goal, it allows you to port to 
you know, PS4, Xbox, and if we're lucky, you can get onto Switch and mobile as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure the design of the game can mold and flex because we want to expand upon uh, Mage Hunter Chronicles once we uh, get this first one out. Oh, and, and that is one of the advantages of Unity is um, cross-platform. You can put it on with a little bit of work, uh, but not too much. You can put it on you know everything, including even you know VR or something like that if you want to go that route. Um, but yeah, you have to factor the design into that. But um, So how did you get started in the industry? Uh, so I'm a lifelong gamer turned modder turned game designer yeah uh, g- growing up i read a i read a lot of books and played a lot of uh, jrpgs so like the final fantasies the secret mm-hmm. of manas and i uh played dnd a lot i ran uh campaigns and designed games for friends and that slowly escalated into modding for engines like starcraft and warcraft 3 and mm-hmm. i was actually a modder during the time of when dota was becoming super popular. So this was before Dota became Dota All-Stars. And so the mod that I was working on wasn't Dota, but it was popular enough that the Blizzard Entertainment actually hired me in uh, 2004, like just plucked me right out of the War 3 modding community. And I was was very, very lucky. I I met somebody online playing Asheron's Call 2, which is a cancel. (laughs) I I did too. he and I were both um, farming uh, using a class that could build turrets. And so okay. he and I were both exploiting the enemy spawning. And then we just started talking like, hey, man, how are you doing? Like, hey, dude. <laughs> That's like how we got into it. And I, I like telling the story because sometimes it's uh, opportunity. What is it? Luck meets opportunity. What's that saying? Oh, uh Preparation, uh, ah, opportunity, yeah. something like that? Yeah. yeah, something like that. The more you're prepared, the more opportunities you create, sort mm-hmm. of. But it's also a big mix of luck. Well, no, and you were doing stuff and you had yourself out there and you're communicating with people. I mean, I have an old uh, designer buddy, Mark Barrett, that um, got into design back, you know, in the days of CompuServe, you know, when they're on the message boards and communicating with people and people asked his opinion on stuff and it kind of mushroomed into a career, so. I actually think that's cool that he did it on the forums. Is is that what you said? Yeah, he was, uh, you know, and this is back in CompuServe, right? So this is like pre-internet days and, and he was on gaming forums back there and um, he was just communicating with people on forums and sharing mm. feedback and sharing ideas and then people responded and uh, turned into a game career, uh, game writer and designer path, but primarily on the narrative design side, yeah. That's awesome because one of the things that I feel that I had, uh, done while I was a Warcraft 3 modder was really engage uh, our audience and get an understanding of what they actually felt while playing the game. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I found was one of the most exciting aspects of game design. And it's something that you know I want to do for uh, Mage Hunter Chronicles, like get the game out there, get players feedback and turn that into, uh, mold that into the game itself. And really mm-hmm. successful like companies like um, Riot and um, Wargaming with like big free-to-play games actually you know, get feedback and engage the communities a lot. And it's something that I found to be uh, really natural to my style of uh, development to get the player involved. Yeah, because um, you, know, you can have your plans and your decisions and what you think is going to be cool and stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what do the players say and what's their feedback. And sometimes you have to you know, pivot or correct course and you know, listen to the audience, right? That's, um, that's critical. Yeah. You also want to try to create something unique for them too. Like a large part of how I do design when I'm working in R and D is what is something that people haven't seen before? What's like a mechanic that you haven't seen before or a a story arc. And that's definitely something that you want to get out there so that people are excited about it. But then you think, what is the fantasy of this idea and how does it play out in game? And those are, like that process, that collaboration process is such an important thing to me. And I think it's really part of um, just being creative overall. Mm-hmm. Kind of flashing back to what, 2004, like what do you wish you had known when you had started? I, we were just talking about this a little bit before right. the podcast started, right, JP? Yep. Um, I wish I knew, yeah, I wish that we, I knew more about like uh, computer parts and had some more hard skills like like coding because you know, the, the number one thing that transfers from project to project is you're working on a computer, 
you're programming the game. And if I had learned those skills in college, I think that would have um, helped me uh, move from project to project because um, I found that you learn the most when you start on a new project in your first couple uh, months, year plus or so. Right. Uh, and then you kind of sort of taper off in how much you learn. So moving on to another project helps you to learn and um, sort of keep on growing. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that is difficult for game design back then was that a large part of what I was doing in the Warcraft 3 modding was using really strong tools uh, without understanding some of the underlying tech behind it. Right. So as we're building Mage Hunter in Unity, I'm learning how to use uh, C Sharp to script my own things, yep. Adobe to create my own graphics, a sprite because we're using 2D sprites for our game okay. uh, so I can create my own art and just every single tool under the sun that I can get my hands on. And there's a very structured way that you can go about learning tools mm -hmm. and learning stuff rapidly to get the job done. And that's definitely what I would have wish I knew before I had started. Just that really focused uh, technologically focused um, approach to learning and doing things. You know, that gives you the the tools to prototype and to be able to put stuff up on screen and, you know, get feedback and things like that. So, no, it's, it's great. You're diving into Unity and, you know, learning all those tools. So that kind of bleeds into the next question about, you kind of answered, but, you know, like what advice would you give someone looking to get their first job? And it sounds like a deeper technical background, understanding tools, things like that in the design side. Uh, I think that for everyone, it's different. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm fairly technical minded. So I like having all those uh, technical skills so that if there's a cool idea I have in my head, I'd like to just prototype it and get it in game. Because one of the yeah. design mantras of Blizzard was show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. And instead of just spending lots of time pitching and describing your idea, why don't you just build it yourself? Mm -hmm. um, but likewise, like, Craft combined with creative is actually really important. So if you're looking to get your first job, think about what are some of your favorite games or what are your, some of your favorite genres. And mm -hmm. oftentimes those kinds of games, you know, they're made in studios that might have a position for you. So sometimes it's just as easy as knocking on the door of your favorite studio. But sometimes you just need to think outside the box. Like, so I like RPGs or I like real-time strategy games, what other mm -hmm. companies are actually working on it. Um, so it's just thinking a bit flexibly um, because the job market is something that you don't really have control over. Right. So being able to not only hon your super skills and as your craft, but also thinking creatively about what kind of games connect with you as a player and how can you attach yourself to that team. I, and, and to your point, like, you know, if there's favorite games and, and you know, you can download and uh, mod it and make levels and stuff. You know, that's that's useful, and you can share that with that company, especially if it's a company making a game. You have ideas for that that shows that a the initiative and b you have some technical aptitude and ideas to make you know get your foot in the door a lot easier. Absolutely, I think going back to my story about how I got into Warcraft Three, I had been using their tools, which were actually programmed by the same engineer for over 15 years. So wow. th thank you, Brett Wood, for working at <laughs> Blizzard when you did. And uh, thank you, Michael Heiberg, for creating the tools. Uh, so I, over the decade in which I had been modding, mm -hmm. uh, I had created this unassailable like, knowledge bank of how to use those tools. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it was very easy for me to be creative because I knew how to push the limits of the Warcraft 3 engine in order to create something that was pretty unique and a, a little bit unexpected. And so that's something that I think will definitely set you apart when you think about what are you passionate about from a creative standpoint, but then also what is your, your super skill that you can do better than anybody else. And then in terms of um, a designer now who's mid-level and looking to take that next step in their career, like advancement and trying to get to that next tier or multiple tiers, like what kind of advice would you give them? I, I've given this advice a lot to folks, so I'll repeat it. This is the tried and true method, and I think that this covers a lot of bases, but there's a lot of nuance that comes down to yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I mean that, it's think about where you want to be in five years, and when in doubt, ask yourself why you got into the industry and pick a path that aligns. 
because there's nothing you're, you're lucky to work in video games. We get to make games for a living. That's right. super awesome. And mm -hmm. there's going to be a passion that you followed that got you to become a mid-level designer. The paths may not be clear. And oftentimes uh, when describing what they are, a lot of people go, well, this idea sounds better than another. The routes are principal path, lead mm -hmm. path, and production. Principal path means take the skill that you have and become better at it than everyone else in your company in the world. You become a world best at level design or right. crafting guns for Rainbow Six Siege or making the most beautiful whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And generally that means combining your design skill with another craft, whether it's art, sound, writing, technical, whatever. And mm -hmm. then at that, and then you got to sort of think about what can you do that the project and the team needs. And so principal path has, is more about the force multiplier of you becoming better at, than everyone else and leading the way, becoming a thought lead. Okay. Um, the lead path is how do you actually make the team around you better? How do you manage people's careers so that they can grow as well too? Mm -hmm. Do you want to lead a team that of, of people or do you want to lead a project itself or do you want to lead some feature of it? And right. so the skills needed there have, are a lot of leadership-based stuff. Um, think about what natural skills you have that make sense for you. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it's the production path. I think production and lead are two very different things. Lead within your craft is similar to principle, but you're leading people. Production means that you're actually leading the overall product. So you're thinking about other teams. You're thinking about how this part and that part connect together and right. actually create the end result. Right. Yeah, it's a little more 30,000 foot and you're um, seeing how all the disciplines uh, interact and how all things you know kind of come together. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's good advice because there are... Um, you know, I've seen cases where people are very good at their craft and uh, they would get promoted into like a leadership role because that's kind of the next tier, or at least it used to be when, if you wanted to move up in the company, but then it meant, you know, a lot of managing and things like that. And maybe they either weren't good at it and or didn't like doing that. So then they were kind of miserable mm -hmm. and they wanted to go back and write code or, you know, do design and things. So, you know, the fact that um, you can have these different, these different, paths and get mm -hmm. better at your craft and not be forced into, you know, being a manager, but just like, you know, like a, a kick-ass individual contributor, right? You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. I, I know, a, I know a programmer, it's like distinguished programmers is titled because, you know, he's gone from like, you know, programmer to senior programmer to mm -hmm. uh, principal to distinguish. And that just mm -hmm. designates, he's like, you know, a ninja on the programming side, but he's not ever going to be, you know, managing large teams and, you know, going to status meetings and stuff, but mm -hmm. his his aptitude and his skills are are so refined and amazing that it warrants giving him that title and giving him that um, that role. So, yeah, don't feel like you have to be always pushed in a, a management or production to um, to grow. I absolutely agree with that. I think that being forced to become a lead or a manager is not something that is healthy for a lot of people, especially when a lot of the reason why you get into the industry is because you like to create stuff. So mm. as I mentioned before, what is the creative? What's the inspiration that got you into the games that you're working on? And what's your super skill? And what are things that allowed you to come be, be a, a really strong individual contributor? And that's why they hired you. But then right. you have to be careful about uh, being pushed into a position that you don't want to do. And I think that part of what I've done in my career a lot is to try to help young developers find out where they actually want to be so they can get ahead of those questions. Because oftentimes when you have your yearly review, they ask you, so what do you want to do? Or where do you see your career path going? And I right. think that getting ahead of that and understanding where you want to be is one of those natural conversations that you should be asking yourself a lot and just really thinking about um, where you want to go. And that's one of the key reasons why I highlight those three paths, the principal, the lead, and the production. Mm -hmm. But most people want to become the principals of what they do. And they want to just become the best at what they do. And oftentimes, that's that's more than enough than for, for a lot of people out there. Yeah. And again, it just gets back to like, where's your passion, where are your skills, where are your interest? Some people mm -hmm. find that they'll get into a discipline and then they're 
oh, wow, I'm pretty good at leading people and I'm pretty good at organizing and I'm pretty good at doing this other stuff. So then they can gravitate towards that and other people be like, mm -hmm. I hate that. I just want to sit in, in front of my computer and do stuff. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to be reflective and think about what's important to you and kind of how that can, you know, intertwine with kind of what your career goals are and, um, and, and, and kind of plan that and kind of gravitate towards one of those three paths. In, in terms of projects, um, what's been one of your two of your favorite projects to work on? My favorite project, hands down, is the one I'm working on right now, Mage Hunter Chronicles. And Great. a lot of this is because this is starting a game from the ground up with my family and growing it to the point where I strongly believe that this is a game that players will enjoy. And seeing that all happen in front of me is extremely exciting. Mm -hmm. um, we just finished our friends and family alpha. And the feedback has been really positive. In fact, there's some people who actually were telling me that they see this as their their career and they want to <laughs> oh, wow. grow with this. And I was cool. I was, I was completely blown away with it because I'm like, okay, I will try to find a way for you to help with this game and <laughs> right. utilize a lot of the stuff we had talked about. It's like, what kind of route do you see? Like, um, working in an indie project like this, uh, people who start from the very beginning have a very large amount of uh, influence on the creative. And so mm -hmm. making sure that understand what your personal viewpoint is and your creative perspective and how that plugs into our overarching view of the company and where we would like to go is super important to me. And, you know, I was cool. telling, I, I kind of joke about it, but Mage Hunter is kind of like, my, my third child, you know, like <laughs> we, we have two little kids and um, th that's good enough. I, let's just make this game instead. Instead of having three, that right. two is good enough, you know. <laughs> and, and where are you uh, based out of? I'm just curious. Oh, um, we're based out of uh, Long Beach, California. Okay. And I, some in between uh, LA and um, Orange County. Yeah. Uh, we at some point in the future we plan to open up an office around the area. This is assuming everything goes well, and we're actually looking to expand our communications and development team. But right now, all of us are working remote, and that was how mm -hmm. we started the company. And despite COVID uh, happening, development right. does continue. We have to be clever about how we do things, but mm -hmm. we're able to sustain our production, and we're just slowly like plotting away gdc used to bounce between long beach and san francisco like every other year so about the game industry like what are you curious about right now so you kind of already seen this with disney buying everything <laughs> and <laughs> with marvel star wars and making live action remakes of movies like aladdin beauty and the beast lion right. king mm -hmm. so Nostalgia in the movie industry is a big thing. And I'm actually curious how that's going to affect the video game industry in the next couple of years. I think that there's going to be a resurgence in interest in classic genres like JRPGs, turn-based games, with a big game that just came out last week, Final Fantasy VII Remake being yeah. a prime example. And um, I feel that that's... I'm curious where that's going to go because you... Also see like a game like Final Fantasy VII doing very well. It's a remaster. It's, it's really yeah. good. I enjoy playing it. And then you also see Warcraft 3 Reforged. On the other hand, where people have so much expectations yeah. of the game. And when Blizzard, unfortunately, did not release with just the stuff that they had mentioned, you saw the backlash on it. And that just yeah. speaks to the, the passion and the, and the, the power behind nostalgia. So mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious if like, you know, uh, how, how that's going to continue to grow. Because I, I think it's a huge, huge opportunity as well. It, it is cool um, to have that kind of nostalgia and think more about other genres that aren't, you know, your typical first-person shooters or, uh, you know, free-to-play whatever's on the mobile side and kind mm -hmm. of see where that resonates with players and when they're looking for something different um, that mm -hmm. harkens back to a, a day when they fell in love with games, right? And that Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks.
It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Absolutely. And and I also think that a lot of people in the world, including video games, but in the world mostly, they're going to get used to working from home and not want to go back. So I'm hoping that the industry, yeah. uh, the video game industry levels up a bit and is more accepting of remote and working from home because we've got uh, contractors in Philippines, in mm. Austin, in Montreal, and it works just fine. So I'm hoping that the video game industry sort of opens its eyes to the opportunities of working from home allow you not only to get the job done, but also finding the right people and truly having a much better work-life balance. It's always kind of been danced around and thought about, but but now with COVID-19, it's 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 forcing our hands, right? So people mm-hmm. have to to deal with this. And, and, and I think a little bit of it is, oh, it's it's not as disruptive as we thought, right? People may be <laughs> like, oh, this can actually work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm at, Level X right now, we're 100%, you know, work from home. And we just did this huge, massive update to our uh, our cardio game. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we got it out. And you have Slack, you have Zoom, mm-hmm. um, all those kind of things. You know, it's a little tricky for onboarding and, and new people starting. But, you know, at the same time, it's not like it was five or 10 years ago and there are tools out there and there's ways to collaborate. And it also kind of expands your, your talent pool because you're not uh, restricted to people within a 50 mile radius or those that have to be able to, to move and things. So you can tap into a, you know, a bigger pool like, like you are and, and kind of go global with that. Um, yeah. I, th- I think like you had actually touched upon it like perfectly. It's like people will need to learn how to communicate better. But that's also good because I feel that a lot of miscommunications cause a lot of the things that are taboo about working in AAA, like having Mm -hmm. to crunch and not meeting the right expectations and not sending the right messages out there. When you, if more of the workforce is more willing to work from home, then those kind of practices will have to be refreshed. And a lot of like what I try to do whenever we bring somebody on is spend an exorbitant amount of time making sure that they're onboarded properly. And this is something that I'm constantly having to do to refresh our overall game design document. What's our production Mm -hmm. schedule and just make sure everybody's aligned because it's not the typical, you don't have an office to go to where you can like nail these things all over the wall. But if you plan carefully and you have productive meetings, then you can get a lot more done in far less time. Yeah. In thinking more about it, it almost forces you to be, in some ways a little more disciplined because mm-hmm. you know you have to use confluence or or you know whatever it is to to document stuff more and be more thoughtful of that versus like uh if somebody wants to know they'll just walk over and find me you know, <laughs> which yeah, is kind of like it used to be yeah. yeah 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 that that sounds very uh like over 15 years ago i i remember those days yeah just go talk to this person if you have a question right. about something. yeah this makes like, no sense uh, just wait, go what? talk to bill huh? down the hallway yeah yeah exactly bill down the hall you have to there's a secret knock to get into his door yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> he might yell at you and throw something but yeah <laughs> but he's been here for 20 years right. so deal with it right he'll give you the answer don't piss him off but yeah. <laughs> You know, in terms of the industry, like, you know, what kind of threats do you see? Like, like what kind of has you concerned or uh, worried about this industry? Um, I think that, and I don't have the data to prove this, I think people are going to slowly get tired of free-to-play just in general. A lot of the yeah. monetization schemes to keep you hooked, like log in every day, get a bonus, do this quest, do that quest. And it's a pretty used up, overused scheme, I think. And yeah. I've actually talked to some investors at pretty large companies and they think that the time for those kind of things, especially on mobile, it's very limited. And some of them see the future in investing in more like IPs and stuff that's like subscription-based models. And right. there, you know, there was somebody that said that, you know, the holy mecca is actually creating like the HBO of game service where you have games that are like unique and complete story experiences instead of a endless grind. And so I'm just like, wow, that sounds really cool. And 
you know, when I talk to these people about it and I talk about why we're trying to do make our game Mage Hunter, it's it's to sort of scratch that itch. And I think like that's a threat to the game industry for people that only want to rely on that as their uh, financial model. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's been successful. So what usually happens is stuff gets overdone and overused and reused because like, well, there's that formula, just take the stuff and you plug it in and money Mm -hmm. truck, you you know, so um, yeah, some people might be getting tired of that, or it's less um, transparent. So they're like, wait a minute, you know, this is, they're gaming me here, you you know, you got (laughs) to see through some of those kind of shaking the can type uh, things. And, um, you know, you look at like Apple Arcade, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. like a curated mm-hmm. experience, you know, it's a monthly fee and they have these different types of games and, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. kind of fits that HBO model that you're kind of talking about. So, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I think Apple Arcade is perfect for casual gamers. It's perfect for my kids because they just love seeing a lot of the different content. And I love that it's curated to fit all sorts of different themes and, and mm-hmm. games and you know, session lengths and stuff. Exactly. Like, what, what about opportunities? Like, like where do you see we can level up things and, and do more stuff? I, I, I'm going to just be honest. I'm getting kind of old. And, and you know, the average <laughs> I got you, gamers, I got you beat on that. Yeah, <laughs> well, we could talk after this. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm older than you. But anyway, I think that um, games with more mature themes and that are unique, that aren't about the compulsion loop, that aren't about the endless grind, these are the opportunities that I see. I think that there's, there's definitely a market out there for those kind of games for people that don't have all the time in the world and just want the best experience in the limited time that they have to play games, which is something that, you know, as a, as a father, I, and as a business owner, I don't have a ton of time to play, but I'm willing to spend um, a good amount of money on it. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's an opportunity for that. Um, I also think there's an opportunity for um, people who are even, I guess myself in about 10, 15 years, like, or, uh, who, who really want to, um, connect with like their, their loved ones across countries. So what I mean by that is Hmm. COVID has forced us all to quarantine ourselves. Is there a way for us to build a game that sort of gamifies the way that we connect with each other? So I don't know if like Facebook is thinking about a way to really, um, get ahead of the work from home culture, which I believe is actually going to transform us as a society. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think there's something out there. I, I have not thought a ton about it, but I know that people desperately want to connect with each other and figuring out ways for people to have like a party online and then play games along with it um, is definitely something that you can you can see as an opportunity for sure. Yeah, and, and like ways to connect versus just, video chat right like what are you doing hey yeah i'm doing this whatever cool all right you, you know it's exactly. like finding some ways to engage and we, we had a thing with work we did uh jackbox um and oh, it was kind awesome. of fun yeah yeah, and, and yeah that's that cool. online and, and we were playing and um it was kind of a way to connect and socialize and have fun and so what about ar and vr mixed reality and all those kind of things what are your thoughts on I didn't have a prepared thought on this, but actually what you had said, John, like makes a lot of sense. Like maybe that's it. Maybe the way for VR to get over the hump, as it were, is to Mm -hmm. provide people with the ability to simulate social connection with others. So if you have enough space and you can afford the VR tech and it's not not too cumbersome for your your setup, you can actually go and visit someone else's house and you can actually talk with them and they can look like, the person that you would expect in real life and yeah uh, you can hang out that way maybe that's actually something maybe that is going to be a real thing in the future per- perhaps i'm i'm not sure but it's a yeah. it's a nascent idea that i think really sat it goes above and beyond just having a, a video call and because people want to like f- like feel like they're completely immersed in it like a video screen is only one dimension as it were you know with the new hardware out there like the quest and stuff you- you know, you don't need the cameras and the the living rooms, giant living room space, and the four thousand dollar computer, and ca- calibrating it all the time. And why the hell doesn't it work? And I plug it back in, and now it works and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that the Quest makes a little bit more mass market towards things like that. And um, hopefully, Facebook is good about the data and what they do with it and stuff, because that's a whole another can of worms. Yeah, but, that's uh, a that's another can of worms. Like hopefully, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, this is a time unpre unprecedented where leaders and uh, world leaders and billionaires uh, can really shape the world um, for the better. And we'll see what their character is, and depending on how everything shapes out. So I'm hoping that yeah. a company uh, like that Mark Zuckerberg can lead very responsibly through these tumultuous times. Yeah, because people want to connect and um, let's be responsible about it for sure. What about a funny or odd story from working in the industry? I'm, I'm sure you have plenty of those, but what <laughs> I would do, you like I to do. share? <laughs> uh, there was, um, you know, there was a lot of fun, like one of my, when when you had asked me what some of my favorite games were on uh, to, to work on, I had mentioned Mage Hunter, but yeah. my second favorite game that I worked on was Heroes of the Storm. That was one yeah. of the first times in my career and where I really got a taste for becoming an entrepreneur uh, was where we were like a small startup team within a larger corporation. And we had okay. all just come together around the simple idea of, hey, man, let's um, make Dota and Blizzard characters. Hell yeah, it's awesome, right? <laughs> let's do it. That's how, let's just do it, right? And that's actually how a lot of the conversations went when we were trying to find people to connect with that could sort of help us out, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like how our interviews now for Kuki go, it's like, how closely does this message connect with you? Um, it's it's a lot easier when you have a game demo or you have a big IP like Blizzard. But right. anyway, going back to Heroes of the Storm, we would always get a lot of people on the team that were like super excited to play Dota and were like, we would play Dota 5v5 yeah. and the amount of noise that we made <laughs> as a team, they constantly, the the, the uh, exec producer, I think uh, Chris Sigity, he had to keep moving us around, not only because we were expanding, but he, he would, they were trying to isolate, isolate us. You, right? Yeah, because around like four or five o'clock, you would just hear all of us just screaming the worst curses <laughs> at each other. What in the fuck? You know, like, yeah, just, yeah. you know, and, and it was so amazing. And it, it was funny because part of like the defense that we had, because we were also being a bit rebellious too, we we're like, well, we're just having fun making our game. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, shouldn't right. you be... Why aren't you excited? What's why aren't you excited? Yeah, <laughs> like, like, um, and so, like, it was one of those really funny times for me, and it, it wasn't any singular moment. It was just more like it. It reminded me. It, mm -hmm. it was the first proof that to me that it's like finding culture and finding the excitement and finding people who all believe in the overall mission statement, what we were trying to do. Yeah. That's key. There, there was, there was. Yeah. The passion, nothing, right? Like people passion. are passionate about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I wish that um, we had had um, more of that across like the, the organization as a whole, but I think that for the first couple of years when we were working on heroes, it was definitely a, a very charmed time for, for all of us. And, Oh, Sorry, John. Um, do you mind if I actually tell you another funny story? Yeah, go for it. Hell yeah. Okay, okay. So this actually is also in Heroes of the Storm. So very early on in Heroes of the Storm, we were playing around with items. Okay. Eventually that turned into talents, and it was something that I had developed to sort of make it different than, say, League of Legends and Dota. But okay. we had items, and one of the items that you had was a consumable that we called a, a flashbang. And mm. it was a simple item. You buy it, you go up to a person you chuck it at them and it would reduce their um, basic attack accuracy down to zero because that's what flashbangs do, right? Okay, yeah. But um, one of the designers who was working on it um, was working on the effect on the victim. And so mm. the victim, would, their, their screen would actually turn completely white. Um, <laughs> but in addition to that, this designer, whom I will not say, uh, okay. he also put the troll face to appear on your screen as well. <laughs> and so... Um, he, we kind of knew that he had done it, but we, we didn't really say much uh, at the time. And so we actually ran one of those really rowdy playtests, as usual. Yeah. And we had the game director on Heroes of the Storm at the time, Dustin Browder, play. And, okay. you know, he's juggling working on StarCraft 2 and Heroes of the Storm. And he's also one of the people who would come around and say, don't be so loud, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, of course, like when we're playing with him, one of us actually just throws a flashbang right into his face <laughs> and all of us are laughing. Right. And he's just like getting super red face and just like, <laughs> who, who did this? Who did this? And then and it, we're, all, we're all just like, in, you know, heads at, heads at the table, right. like kind uh, of uh, ducked uh, down, not looking at anything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, stop killing him, you know, like, <laughs> stop, stop picking on the kid. Right. You know? so, 
Let Mr. Um, Burns win the sack race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let Stop Mr. It. Burns win the sack race. Stop <laughs> it, you know. And um, that again, uh, I think exemplified like some of the rebelliousness, but also the passion because, you know, like when you play Dota, uh, play MOBAs in general, you, you're kind yeah. of being you're kind of being a dick to each other. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> that's kind trolling of trolling each other. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> super trolling. And, but but he at the time was not not in on it at all. And um, yeah, you know, I I I didn't I didn't want to you know I didn't reveal any names. So don't worry, guys. Anyone who's listening to this, I didn't reveal any names. But it was funny. <laughs> good job. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he, he probably had twenty things in his mind. He'd be like, all right, I'll just jump into this and see what's going on and see what the noise is about. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah, people are kind of punking him. They're like. What yeah, the hell is this? Him. He's he's getting repeatedly flashbanged with his <laughs> right. full faces, right. and um, I I do admit that I was somewhat com- complicit in the idea because I I remember talking to the designer who did it, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I didn't know that Dustin was going to play at the time, so but yeah. it, it was a it was a laugh all around. Yeah, no harm, no foul. That's, that's all good. Exactly. So in terms of playing games now, like um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you don't have a lot of time, but like with the time that you do have, you know, what are you playing or what's, what are you excited about that's out there uh, besides your game? Um, I, I love playing animal crossing. Um, there's, there's yeah, a, there's a nice Zen feel about it. There's socialness is good. They, they've, they, um, I feel like it's from a game design standpoint, it's, it's incorporated a lot of the compulsion loop mechanics, but mm-hmm. it's such like a simple game and there's no real, uh, you, you set your own goals that you kind of can just ignore a lot of it and it, they're not yeah. asking you to go to a shop and buy more currency and stuff and so mm-hmm. during this time where we're all isolated from each other you know i see a lot of people uh, having large parties at each other's houses and mm-hmm. you know, even something as simple as like reporting to my friends like this is what my turnip prices are and oh my god you 400 pri- bells let's go let's go let's go we all jump and go into this person's like town and then yeah. leave messages on their dashboard like i left like a 100,000 like 99,000 bell tip for my friend like somewhere who he generally doesn't like getting tips and stuff so <laughs> i was just kind of joking with him it's like you're never going to find it in your in your village and so right. it's kind of a it's kind of like the kind of game that I feel is needed right now during yeah. COVID, and and it's just, it's the kind of game that's like lighthearted enough that uh, mm. and creative enough that really scratches a lot of different itches for me right now. Yeah, and it's a it's a killer IP that goes a ways back, and um, you know the timing with you know with everything going on, um, you know I see it all over Twitter. I I, I have to admit I haven't played it yet, but um, I see a lot of people playing it and it's got a lot of momentum and it just feels like it's kind of tapped into this uh world we're in and you know something besides just shooting and killing and running around mm-hmm. and uh doing that kind of stuff that um it's a little more like you said zen like and a little bit more uh enjoyable and cooperative and you know there's enough craziness in the world right now so something like that is a nice form of escape mm-hmm. absolutely i think that one of the things that when you think about why people play games and why they continue to play them the sense of connectivity and social is it's a huge part of it and wrapped around a lot of that is you know you're playing an fps and you're shooting other people or you're in animal crossing and you're collecting bells and trading fruits and digging up fossils Mm -hmm. but at the core of it it is about playing with other people and i think during covid uh, when we're all quarantined, it's really important to reach out and talk to people and stay connected. And this is something that I think a lot of people will get used to, um, but will be very jarring at first. But when you work from home for the first time and that's all you do, you get stir crazy really fast. Yeah. So I encourage cabin everyone, fever. Yeah. Yeah. Cabin fever is huge. And I, if, if there wasn't COVID, I would encourage all of the people that, work with us at uh, Kuki to actually go out and socialize. But, you know, instead it's about making sure we can play games with each other and connecting with your friends and encouraging them to take care of themselves because yeah. like this is, this is a very weird time. Well, cool. Is there anything else um, I should have asked you about, but didn't? No, not really. I was, I was actually going to ask you, John, if there were any sure. good like Netflix uh-huh. or streaming shows that you would recommend. Cause you know, mm. everyone's going to be running out of, idea of things and i just started watching uh shit's creek and i didn't realize how 
how great that is. I'm I'm very curious about that because I, you know, today myself, I'm a huge fan of SCTV. So uh-huh, I, uh-huh. I know people remember this with Second City Television and it was on, hell, it was on in the early 80s, but it had Eugene Levy, right? Yeah, yeah. That, and uh, Catherine O'Hara, uh, they mm-hmm. were both on SCTV and John Candy and Rick Moranis and all those kind of people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I heard, I heard they had that. Uh, I was like, oh, I need to check that out. Um, Brew Bros, I've heard about on the Twitter, and I, I was going to check it out, but I haven't watched anything yet. But that sounded, uh, yeah. Uh, Blake oh, Harris. Nitro Coffee. Oh, this sounds great. I'm going to watch this. I love Nitro Coffee. Yeah, yeah. Blake Harris had uh, put some up on Twitter about that. I was like, okay, I, I need to check that out. And then I haven't watched anything yet, but Curiosity Stream had the twelve bucks for the year, and I was like, you know. Yeah, there's got to be a dollar a month entertainment there. So I signed up for it. Um, just uh, I like to geek about neuroscience stuff and history and and things. So um, yeah, for a buck a month, uh, Curiosity Stream seems like a a pretty good idea. Is uh, is when you say the you're excited about the education? Is that related to your your current work? Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, I, I I've been curious just about mindfulness and brains and and just all kinds of stuff around you know what goes on in that three and a half pound blob in between your ears that (laughs) controls so much it's like yeah what is what is going on there and um we we tap in a little bit of that at work a friend of mine from college is a brain surgeon up in anchorage yeah i've always just been kind of curious in that and just you know history buff and just kind of you know thinking back all the challenges uh the world's gone through, whether it's World War II and all those kind of things. So to kind of nerd out more on history stuff than uh, science fiction or fantasy and stuff, just because um, that's just kind of where my my brain's at. But okay. yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool that you had mentioned that it's about understanding how your brain works. And I think we had just talked about this a little, about how people are uh, self-quarantined uh, and mm-hmm. they get cabin fever. And so I think that one of the stigmas around... Um, mental health and taking care of it and making sure that you're not, you're not unhealthy in that area, that will actually become uh, a much more, that will come to light more. And I think that society will be more accepting of how this is something that in addition to physical health needs to be maintained. And so I think the effects of COVID's isolation will be studied for a long, long time. But in addition to all the benefits that we had talked about and, you know, thinking about all the opportunities you have to be relaxed and working from home, I think that understanding more about how your brain works and knowing how to control it is actually a huge part of staying mentally healthy. Yeah, it, it, because I think a lot of people, you know, it's funny, people obsess about their physical health, right? They're like, going to the gym, I'm doing this, mm-hmm. I'm doing this reps. And then it's like, you're a mess, right? It's like, people are like <laughs> put a little bit of time into like your mental health too, and kind of deal with that kind of stuff. Because, you know, the, the vanity part of, of working out all the time and stuff is tangible because you see it in the mm-hmm. mirror and, you, you know, you look great in your whatever profile. But at the, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you can still be just completely miserable on the inside. So you, you might as well um, think a little bit about how your brain works and what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. And, um, mental health and personal development and stuff like that mm-hmm. and not just just be obsessed with your your exterior but you know dig a little deeper and see what's going on you know in your head and and how to be a happier more productive uh human being so but that's my rant but yeah no no no. i think it's actually something that people need to hear and if anything i think that that actually answers the question about whether or not what what should you have what should we talk about mental health and yeah. taking care of yourself like for a long time that's been largely gone under the hood. And so any opportunity that I think that we can message people out there to take care of themselves and it's not just about the physical, it's also mental. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important. And that's why I was saying a little earlier about like when you're trying to mentor young people early in their game development career or literally any career, it's thinking about why you got into it. It's about the dream that you have that, you, that inspired you to go into a certain industry. And I think that Sometimes we get so caught up on the day to day, you know, mm-hmm. you get cabin fever, you forget that it's eight o'clock and you just grind on stuff all day that it's very easy to lose sight of that. Yeah. It's about where is that, where's that spark? What's that thing that got you there in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. and you know, for me, it was going to an arcade and throwing tokens in and, you know, mm-hmm. playing those old classic games and 
you know, George Gomez's Spy Hunter and Tron and all yeah, those kind of things. Yeah, uh, which I'm, I'm glad to say I got a chance to work and, and be friends with George. But um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. A, a topic for another time for sure. Yeah, yeah it, it's, <laughs> actually, I, I have to get him on the show. But um, yeah, it's like where's that spark? And then yeah, w- what's your release too? Like like how do you kind of unwind? You know, for me it's challenging because my my passion is motorcycles. So I mm. I, I do off roading and I do dual sport and. Uh, I'm, I'm torn because, you know, it's, it's very self-isolating. Uh, you don't come in contact. I, 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 I'm at get all the gear all the time, helmet, boots, gloves, jacket, you know, the whole thing. But then, you know, in the back of your mind, like, you know, if I go down, um, a, do I want to be putting hospital workers, uh, um, you know, using their time with me when there's COVID going on and B, do I want to mm-hmm. be, um, you know, in an environment where there's maybe COVID stuff going on. So, I'm wrestling with that and um, keeping the motorcycles in the garage, but um, that's kind of like my two wheel therapy in a way that kind of forces me to get out of my space and just be able because you have to focus on a motorcycle. You have to concentrate. You can't Mm -hmm. be um, Mm -hmm. thinking about other stuff. There's all these things going on uh, and it's it's real life and this split second makes a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, I'm having a challenge with that. Just, just not gearing up and getting on the bike and, disappearing into a couple states and coming back the next day so yeah that's mm. what i'm trying to deal with mm. I, I wish you the best of luck with that john and you know yeah. if there's anything that for for listeners out there that should take away from it is that you know there are people living human being breathing human beings on the other side with feelings and you know this covid isolation is affecting everyone greatly and so you know if you if you have empathy to spare and you and you are in a position where you can make a difference in someone's life just reach out and talk to them. And some, and sometimes that's just the best therapy. That's sometimes just like yeah. spreading that joy around and just being an ear for somebody. You know, I encourage everyone to, you know, look at their phone and uh, scroll way down from people they haven't talked to in uh, months and just shoot a check-in text and you see how uh, people are doing because um, people respond. And, and I think uh, it adds a lot and it doesn't take you very much time to, to reach out to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very well spoken. So yeah, the last question, like where can people find you online? You know, Twitter, uh, website, all those kind of good places. Uh, yeah, so the Discord. game web, uh, yeah, there is actually a Discord server for MageHunter.net. You can right. actually find all of our socials on our website, www.MageHunter.net, okay. um, and sign up for our newsletter. We are uh, gearing up for a formal announcement in the coming months and shoring up plans and content around that. Cool. And um you know, if you want to check us out, like uh, that would be really awesome. And we're really excited to share news of the game with everybody out there. Yeah. And I'm going to have uh, links in the show notes uh, to all this so that people can um, just follow up there. And I really appreciate having you on tonight, Richard, and um, some great information. And I wish you the best with uh, the game. Thank you very much, John. It was my pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye.